We weaken our greatness when we confuse our patriotism with tribal rivalries. Both sides have been playing with fire and not realizing it. It's good versus evil. There is no doubt. There is no gray. There are only tribes. You know what? I'm not going to get into it because we won. Pick a side. I feel like the discussion, because of our tribalism, we can't really talk about the problems. It's almost like a game of gotcha. Let's start with the basic understanding of the premise. Tribalism is getting worse, and it's making people so stupid. Hello. My name is Andrea Smartin, and this is Next Door Strangers, a podcast about finding connection in a time of division. Episode 1, Tribalism 101. Pick a side. Like a lot of people, my friend LaVon Maloney has a family that is divided politically, but she didn't know it growing up in small-town North Dakota. My sister's 10 years older than I am, so when they brought me home from the hospital, I was her new doll. And from that moment on, we were inseparable. I met LaVon a few years ago when I was a reporter at a public radio station in Salt Lake City. LaVon was a volunteer and a big supporter of the station. She's lived around the world, but she only started getting involved in politics after she moved to Utah. Working for the re-election of Barack Obama in a red state, she felt like she had found her people. But as she got deeper into Democratic politics in Utah, she was drifting from her sister. I suddenly realized that she had these tendencies that I would have never thought could come out of somebody that was so close to me. The, um, the racist remarks, the demeaning remarks about anything that was considered liberal. LaVon didn't realize just how divided they were until it all came to a head on April 14th, 2017. They were gathered to celebrate their mother's 102nd birthday when somebody told a joke about Hillary Clinton being a liar. LaVon tried to laugh it off, but she said her sister wouldn't let it go, calling her husband to tell the joke again. She is laughing, and I just kind of laughed with it and said, that's a really stupid joke. And she starts sing-songy laughing, walking down the hall of our mother's assisted living center, yelling after me, you're a sore loser. And I'd like, where is this coming? You're 71 years old. What's wrong with you? Finally, I had to just turn around and I said, well, grow the bleep up. And apparently, the fact that I stood up to her just switched something in her brain and she started yelling at me that I was attacking her and on and on. And this then went on for days as we tried to visit our mother. And she was telling everybody how terrible I was. She's scared to be around me. And I thought, this is where we've come. This was my tribe. And yet my tribe is now torn apart. Now you're in separate tribes? We're in warring tribes, exactly. LaVon says she hasn't spoken to her sister in a year and a half. What's happened to these sisters is playing out all across America. And after our recent election, one thing is certain. Incidents like this aren't going to end anytime soon. Tribalism isn't going anywhere. It's something I struggled with as a daily news reporter. How to cover politics without perpetuating the things that divide people. But with this podcast, I want to step outside the system to figure out how we got here and how we're going to get out of it. Later, we'll hear from an anthropologist who wrote Our Beleaguered Species Beyond Tribalism. This book has helped me step back 
from the strangely addictive cycle of outrage, anger, and despair in my newsfeed and think about the big picture. It's also helped me think differently about where I live, Utah. If you're unfamiliar, Utah is a place that's going through a lot of change because of transplants like me. But the state's roots in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints still run deep, and the leadership in the state is overwhelmingly Republican. One of those leaders is Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. And like many people I've talked to here, he believes the tribalism has gone too far. One summer night, he reached a breaking point. Usually I can fall asleep very easily, and this night I, I couldn't. Cox lives out on a farm 100 miles south from the state capital where he works. After his four kids were tucked in bed, Cox was doing the thing a lot of people were doing, scrolling through stories about migrant children being separated from their parents at the U.S. border, a policy being enacted by the leader of his party, President Trump. It was really, really just awful. And my wife had talked to me about it, and we had had several conversations, and she was upset and wondering what we could do and, you know, how could we use our, our influence for good and felt very helpless and I'd kind of talked her down and then, and then we went to bed and I just <laughs> laid there and laid there and thought. He laid there and laid there and thought and thought. The more I thought about it, the, the madder I got, the angrier I got and the more incredulous I got about the, you know, the situation and kind of how we got here and that it was quite frankly, my party that was responsible for a, a lot of what was happening. Finally, I don't remember what time. It was about 2 in the morning, I think, when I, uh, when I got up. And he did the thing that people should not do at this hour in the morning. He picked up his phone. Can't sleep tonight. I know I shouldn't tweet, but I'm angry and sad. I hate what we've become. My wife wants to go and hold babies and read to lonely, scared, sad kids. I want to punch someone. Political tribalism is stupid. It sucks and it's dangerous. We are all part of the problem. Cox followed up, some in my party are doing and supporting things I never thought possible. You won't believe me, but your party is capable of it too. We get what we deserve. If we want change, we have to change ourselves. He tweeted several more times, advising people to turn off cable news, get off Facebook, run for office, follow the second great commandment, love thy neighbor, and then closed with a tweet, quote, I know I'm breaking the never tweet when angry, tired rules. I'll probably delete by morning. Don't at me. Hopefully I can sleep now. And went to bed, and when I woke up, uh, it had gone, I guess, as viral as, as a tweet can go for a lieutenant governor in the middle of nowhere. While the lieutenant governor slept, the tweet was liked more than 47,000 times and retweeted more than 10,000 times. Democrats thanked Cox for taking a stand against his party. Conflicted Republicans were relieved that someone was giving voice to their internal battle. One person said, please run for president, hashtag Cox 2020. But of course, there were those who took issue with this tweet. One commentator from Kansas said, Mr. Cox, I'm glad to see you have a heart. What is happening at the borders is truly appalling. But um, no, we are not all part of the problem. This rests squarely on the heinous actions of Trump and his Republican Party. And from California, with the handle, America is better than this. Quote, you're on the right side or the wrong side. The truth is on one side. Racism and hate is on the other. Pick a side. I recognize that this time it's the president of my party and, and it's, it's my tribe 
that is causing this problem. But I, I said the same thing. I said, look, it can happen to you too. So many of those responses just proved the point. Um, in you know, instead of maybe saying, look, I, I agree with you. How can we how can we work to make this a better place? It's no, you're a racist because you're a Republican. You know that that's crazy, and, uh, and and it's just not true. But that is the mindset of many in this country. Cox says he was concerned about political tribalism well before Trump was elected president. It's this divide I'm seeing, this fear of working together, compromise, and winning at all costs. For Cox, the impasse on immigration is a perfect example. Because both sides win elections by not fixing it. They get to use it to prey on the fears of the voters that support them. If you're in a mostly conservative state or a mostly conservative district, uh, you win points by holding up illegal immigration as the fear, as, as the boogeyman. Conversely, if you're in a liberal district or in a liberal state, you hold up that you know, Republicans hate Hispanics or hate minorities, or and it, and it just helps people get elected. If if we solve that issue tomorrow, that issue's off the table. Now it's harder to raise money. It's harder to rile up your base on the left and right. I think that's dangerous, and I, I think it's sad. If tribalism is so clearly bad for us, if it's preventing us from solving problems, making us vulnerable to hostile foreign powers, and keeping us in a perpetual state of fear and anger, why do we keep doing it? Maybe because we've always done it, since the dawn of humankind. We needed to cooperate in order to survive as fairly defenseless primates. And we did that by grouping together. That's anthropologist Elizabeth Crouch-Zellman, the author I was telling you about who helped me think about the big picture. According to Zellman, tribalism is embedded deep in our nature, from a time when the advantages of living in a tight-knit, trusted group were significant. And we developed the ability to bond and care for others beyond our own children. These things happened during the longest part of our existence as humans when we were hunting and gathering people and small scattered groups. If unity within the group was important for survival, the flip side was also true. Those outside the group were a threat to be feared or attacked. We can see it in our political rivalries today. If an idea comes from the other side, even if we agree with it, it must be bad. Tribalism can be as harmless as sports fandom. But in its most extreme form, it can lead to hate groups, genocide, and war. Zellman says what was an advantage in the past may work to our detriment in the present. We still have these ancient impulses, and they still have some benefits, but they also are wreaking havoc in today's world, which is a global, international world, whether people like it or not. We do depend on the global... (laughs) ecosystem, all of us, for our survival. Zellman has observed a surge of destructive tribalism, a perfect storm that has brought us to this point. And she says it's not surprising, given the circumstances, a crowded planet, increasing inequality, along with the digital revolution. In this moment, almost every group can find a way to feel threatened. And it's dangerous because... uh, Our survival depends on working together to solve challenges that we really have in common.
want to believe that if we defeat our enemy, our problems will be solved. But we know it's not that simple. Life is not a series of binary choices. Red and blue, black and white, winners and losers, right and wrong. And yet, this is exactly what we've been reduced to. It's the deal we make. For the certainty and power of a unified group, we pick sides. And for this, we'll write off whole segments of the population as evil, punish our leaders for compromising with the other side. We'll even stop speaking to our own sisters. But is it possible to reap the benefits of a tribe, to have the strength and the trust without resorting to tribalism, without demonizing or putting down other groups? Can we forge that kind of unity without an enemy? Here's where your part comes in. Every episode of Next Door Strangers ends with a question or challenge. This podcast is one big experiment, and we want you to be our co-investigator, sharing your insights along the way. Here's your challenge. In your life, are you part of groups where you're stronger together, where you feel a sense of identity and belonging? We want you to list your top five tribes. Use your phone to record a voice memo listing your five tribes. Send your memo to strangers at KUER.org. Your voice may be included in future episodes. To get us started, we asked a few volunteers to answer this question. My name's Megan, and here are a few of the groups that I belong to that make me feel strong, and I'm proud to be a part of them. My name is Matt Broder. I'm Andrea's cousin. This is Bethany Gull, and these are my tribes. There's a group of hairdressers and barbers that volunteer our time to the homeless youth in Salt Lake, and I feel so strong being a part of that group. Of course, my family. One, my family. Now, my second tribe is my uh, post-Mormon women's group. My son's Boy Scout troop, of which I volunteer as one of the leaders. A cocktail club group that I have gotten to be close with, and I enjoy meeting the women in that group. And the last tribe that I could think of was my Volkswagen tribe. My husband and I own a 1991 VW Vanagon, and we love taking that thing out with our fellow Vanagon owners. So those are my tribes. Those are some ideas to get you thinking. Send a voice memo listing your five tribes to strangers at KUER.org. And hang on to that list. In our next episode, we'll take this question further and explore the idea that maybe what we really need are stronger, better tribes. Next Door Strangers is a production of KUER in Salt Lake City. Our team includes Tim Slover, Joel Meyer, Gail Ewer, Renee Bright, and Chelsea Naughton. Find out more about our show and learn how to connect with others at KUER.org. I'm Andrea Smartin. 